Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you've come to this place today to find out how to blow a vision, you've come to the right place. That's right. If you want to know, as a child of God, how to absolutely destroy something that you sense and know over time is what God wants you to do as far as a significant decision. Not deciding what kind of socks to wear, where to go to lunch. A significant decision as a believer. And you want to know how to blow it? Man, you are in the right place. Now, if some of you are here and you're thinking, then just do the opposite of that. You're thinking, no, I want to know best I can on this journey of faith. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. How to fulfill God's purpose in my life. How to go into this next season of my life. How to make a godly decision about something that's significant. Then you do just the opposite of the major points listed in your outline. So I did this intentionally because it could be that the reason there's some things going on in your life that's rather challenging or difficult, we all go through different seasons. Sometimes God allows things to happen to grow us deep in our faith. Sometimes God allows us to go through a deep time because we are blowing Our purpose as a believer as far as living by faith and making decisions in regard to the future. And it may be God pierces your heart through his word today about a matter that you have been dealing with. If you have your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. We started this series last week. Nehemiah now, because even though this happened long, long ago, and we believe this was a real leader of God in his word in the Old Testament, it speaks to us now. It's all about leadership. It's all about influence. It's all about making decisions. It's all about not listening to the naysayers. It's all about allowing people to help fulfill God's will. It's about your family. It's about God's family. It's about the future. We glance at the past, but we ask God to help us for the future because we don't want to look in our rearview mirror too long. It's little. The front window is wide and big, and I want to keep looking toward the front. And so today, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 2 in the NIV version. Before I read that, I'm going to read this paraphrase in case you missed last week or in case you need to be reminded kind of where we are. One commentator put it like this, Nehemiah, as cupbearer to the king, Enjoyed all the perks, the corner office, the cellular chariot phone, the use of the company's team of camels and the inflated salary. Now, imagine the Mission Impossible theme song. Y'all remember that? 
playing in the background as God said, Nehemiah, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. Travel 800 miles to Jerusalem and rebuild my walls around my city. By the way, Nehemiah, you're going to face some major opposition. You will walk, you will have to walk into King Artaxerxes' office, his boss, the man you report to directly who can chop your head off if he's in a bad mood or ask for a decade off from work while you keep your salary and benefits. You will also have to ask him for all the resources, security forces, and travel documents you need to return to Jerusalem. This mission has been impossible for 90 years, but in my economy, it is possible. Who knows? Maybe God also said, Nehemiah, if you choose not to accept this mission, Jerusalem might self-destruct. Let's see what happened. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, which would be April, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now, here's an indication that this man was full of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, that comes from Nehemiah. We'll be coming to that. But there was something about his demeanor that his boss, because he knew him, was different. And he knew and sensed it was sadness of heart. There was something heavy and weighty on his heart because it was something that God had been working in his heart and life to do and be a part of. And if you've been involved in that, you know that it can affect our heart. So he noticed, what's going on with you? I was very much afraid. He said, but I said, verse 3, to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors were buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Can't you just see? I can just see him. I like to use my imagination. Y'all probably picked up on that. He's thinking, oh, God, help me. I've been praying to you, God. I've been talking about this. I've missed a few meals, but here it is, God. He has opened up the door. Dear God, help me. Remember this. As you go through life and you have major decisions or opportunities, maybe to witness somebody, to share to somebody, or whatever it might be that God may lead you to do, you don't necessarily have to, in front of the person, bow your heads and close your eyes. Inside, you can say, oh, God, help me. It's okay. See him doing that. And he prayed to the God of heaven. I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? Man, this guy's bold, isn't he? He got permission. He's like, hey, this is going good. I think I'll add a few things. He'd already thought through this. May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of my royal park, so 
He will give me timber to make beams of the gates of the citadel of the temple for the city wall, for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, oh, here we go. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone but God to put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back. And re-entered through the valley gate. The officials told, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work because God had laid this on his heart. He didn't just fire out and do something on his own. He wanted to make sure. So he's doing some investigating. Then I said to them, verse 17, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But, oh boy, here they come again. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshep the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is it that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebuilding against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Nehemiah, for now, he's a man. Why? Because he's God's man. Why? Because he's not afraid of man. He fears God, which means he reveres him. And he feels like God has spoken to me. I'm going to go for it, God, by your grace accomplish rebuilding of the wall. Now, how to blow a vision. These three or four things. But if you're a Christian and you really want to do the opposite, you will follow God's will, do the opposite of these four things. But if you want to blow it, we got it right here. Now, let me define vision, Okay. Read a book years ago, and I memorized this particular definition. I hadn't found one better myself. Maybe you can give me one from somebody else. That'll be fine. Vision. A mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction of what should be. Let me give you an example. East Haven relocated to this location back, I believe, in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s or thereabouts. There was a time that more than likely your pastor at the time, your leaders at the time, over time, a mental picture of what 
could be, could be, God started putting on their heart. A mental picture of what could be, and all of a sudden, and I'm sure not everybody was ready to load the trucks at the beginning. A mental picture of what could be, fueled by the conviction of what should be. And you went for it. God bless you. Thank you for listening to God. That's an example. Vision. Now, it could relate to the church. It could relate to your own family in some way. It could relate to your workplace. It could relate to where I go to college. It could relate to transitioning to retirement. It could relate to a number of things. Allow, things. Allow God to let you know what that is for you. And it could be part of this is for our church going forward. Mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction of what should be. All right, let's look at number one. It's on your listening sheet if you're taking notes. Number one, don't ask for permission. God lays something on your heart, at least you think it is. It may have been bad pizza late at night. You just didn't sleep well. You got some crazy idea. Just fire out and do, do whatever you just Well, oh, yeah, I think I'll just do this. That is not good. You'll, you, that's a good way to blow it. But that's a way to blow it. Don't ask for permission. We see in verses 1 through 5 that Nehemiah asked for permission. Who did he ask for permission from? God. We see that early on. He kept talking to God. When we're making decisions, we keep talking to God on our knees, in the prayer closet, in our devotional time, in our small group, in our Sunday school class, in worship, when we're driving down the road with our eyes open. We keep asking permission from God. God help me. God help me. God help me. God help me. Always being connected with God and asking for his direction. But he also, he asked his boss, he asked his supervisor, King Artaxerxes. He didn't just do something. He wanted to make sure it was God. And he feared God more than man, so he risked his life. His boss could have said, off with his head, but he didn't. Now, when I've made major decisions so far in my life, I've not faced that. I'm not sure anybody here has thought, all right, I'm going to make this decision. And then I go, well, or he's in a bad mood, she's in a bad mood. Off with my head. Now, that's bold. I don't know about you, but I, I like to study Nehemiah. I like to know, man, this guy was something. He risked his life early on. Let me tell you. God opened his eyes, and he listened. Now, how can we find someone that maybe did the opposite? I thought of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah heard from God, and then he did his own thing. Now, the Bible said God provided a whale. And we may think, man, I wouldn't want to be in the belly of a whale. And it wouldn't be that fun. But God was actually giving him an opportunity provided for it. There was a revival that took place in the belly of that whale. But I don't know about you. If I'm in the belly of whale, I'm thinking, man, it stinketh up in here. I think I see baby sharks. 
swimming around. I don't like that. And then I think I'd say, because I don't know of anybody else that was in there with Jonah, it's lonely up in here. Being outside of God's will, it can stinketh. And it can affect others, which Jonah was about to affect others because he was doing his own thing. And it can be scary because <laughs> God is God. He doesn't save us to sit. He saves us to serve. He's got a purpose for us. He's got a direction for us. He's got a will for us. He's given us a fingerprint, and nobody else has that fingerprint. Do what God has called you to do. Proverbs 21, 1. I love this as we think about what Nehemiah did before the king. Listen to this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Nehemiah asked for permission, and that's key to God's work that he has for us. Give permission, God, authorities, those you need to. But if you want to blow it, just fire off, do do your own thing. Secondly, if you want to blow it, don't develop a plan. Can Can you imagine Nehemiah going before the king and saying, Oh, king, now listen, I... I just think about doing something, and I just wanted to see if uh, even though it goes against us, you know, who, your people and who you like and everything, I'd like to go help the enemies out, and I want you to pay for it. That probably wouldn't be good. In other words, when God gives us direction, we need to have a plan. We need to be administratively inclined, so to speak. We need to know, okay, this God is how you're wanting me to accomplish this the best I can tell. So he developed, he, he developed a plan. And here's what he did. He asked for, and we read it, long chapter, letters of permission. He says, As I'm going to do this. I need letters of permission from the king. Got it. Legion of protection. Remember, he's like, okay, this is going well. Let me also ask for protection. I won't go out this on my aren't you got it? What else? Leaders for evaluation. He wanted to take some other folks. They examined all those different kinds of gates and the walls, and it wasn't even he wasn't out there on a solo effort doing his own thing. No. He wanted to have uh, the ability to listen. And discern God's will by speaking to wise counsel. We're to seek wise counsel when we're trying to do God's plan. Some things you keep, you say, ooh, that's good. Some things you kick out the window, you say, ooh, that's rotten. And some things are right in here in the middle. It's like, I believe I'll take that little piece. That's the way that we develop a plan. Listen to what the greatest leader of all time said. You know who that is. Jesus. It wasn't Nehemiah, it wasn't Moses, they're great. David, the Apostle Paul, there's some great leaders in God's Word. But the goat, the greatest of all time is Jesus. And this is what he said. Luke 14, 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, it says, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Someone has said, investigate before you initiate. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. Investigate before you initiate. And this is what he found. He found the potential and he found the problems. Anything done that's great for God will have challenges. It will. It always will. So it's not the easy road. It's the difficult road to accomplish things that God wants us to do. He saw the potential. The kind of tool around the walls was revealed in the word inspect, which is Hebrew for to look into something very carefully. It's a medical term. As a physician examines a wound or a cut to see the extent or the way to Uh, provide healing, it's that kind of term. I mean, they looked, he, Nehemiah, looked very closely. They gathered facts, they organized plans, and they were getting ready for the challenge of motivating other people. When I think about how this might relate to the church, before we know it, And y'all know this, we are almost in the summer. I can't believe it. It's happened quick. Summer's here. Our children's minister, Michelle, has already been mentioning VBS. Why? Because she's a planner. I've been here long enough to see. She doesn't just, well, let me just see how this, no, 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 no. She plans. She's mentioned it several times. Well, we're in April. Yeah, she was probably working on it last fall. You see, because it is significant. I love Vacation Bible School. It's a great opportunity to reach families and to bless our children and to reach the community. I'm looking forward to it. So she's been planning. Sometimes we think, ah, these things, and maybe we just, they just happen. No, they don't just happen. Let me tell you, just for example, VBS, you got curriculum, you got teachers, you got runners, you got snacks, you got decorations, you got music, you got movements. Did y'all like that? I just ruined my opportunity to be a part of the VBS theme song, probably. That's an example you got to plan. you got to work through it. It, it, takes, it takes a team someone has to fulfill a dream. And I also put this. If we don't execute a vision from God, it was a super, that was a supernatural gift. It was a supernatural gift gone by the wayside. In other words, if we don't execute a vision given by God, it was like we flushed it down the toilet. Those may be graphic terms. Maybe it's shocking as it should be. What a blessing 
to live this life after we're born again and for God to give us direction for our family, for our church, for our workplace, for our kids, for our grandchildren. What a blessing to do that. We need to pay attention to it. Number three, don't ask for help from people. The art of leadership is getting people to do what they ought to do because they want to do it. It's kind of like a coach. Those guys out there on the baseball field right now at spring, more than likely as you get on into high school and college, more than likely they're not doing because mom and them want them to. More than likely they enjoy it. But they may not like the grueling part of practicing and being in, being in the cage or all the things that may go with any other sports. But they need somebody to help them do what they really want to do. So, you want to ask for help from people. John Maxwell said, if you want to do a few small things right, do them yourself. That's why to do the opposite, the point is just do it. Don't ask for other people's help. He goes on, if you want to do great things and make a big big impact, learn to delegate. Delegation does not mean you're not doing your job or fulfilling God's help, you realize you have limitations. I have great limitations. We have to get people to help us. It's not about us. It's not about pointing, uh, uh, focusing on ourselves so we can have a lot of pub or a name or whatever. No! That is far from what God wants. It's about giving glory to Him and using God's people about using the feet and the arm and the head and all the things that God talks about in the New Testament as far as the people of God using their gifts and abilities. Nehemiah had been given a big dream, and he wanted to do it for God's glory. I'm going to read verse, verse 18 again. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. That's one of my favorite verses in Nehemiah. Oh, let's begin this good work. Someone has said there's all kind of people in the world. One, those who watch what's happening. Two, those that know what's happening. Three, Those that make things happen. Nehemiah and others made things happen because God enabled them to do so. So the way do we do that? How do we do that? Who do we ask? How? God and people. That's how it happens. And God will bless. Number four. Here's the other way, last way, to ruin a vision God's given us. Don't answer those that probe. Just don't even, just ignore them from the beginning. That's not what Nehemiah did. You remember how I kept emphasizing? Send ballot, Geshem, Toby. I have a nickname for them. Sandy, Geshe, and Toby. Now, when he was first launching out, with this vision from God, had Nehemiah ignored these three men who were important to the community, 
he may have weakened his own position among the, the Jews. Remember, he was an official, an official governor, and he was doing official business. Or had he debated them, which he didn't do, and tried to convince them that their position was false, but that approach would only have given official promotion to these three men in their eyes and the opportunity to spread more negativity or junk or stuff that God had no part of. So he made three things clear in our text. Here's what Nehemiah did to these three guys. One, rebuilding the wall was God's work. Guys, you need to listen to me. This is God's work. If you're going to be naysayers, you're going to be negative, it's God's work. Two, the Jews are God's servants. They're God's people. Number three, the three men had no part in the matter. You see, they were vision vandals. Sometimes in life, we have vision vandals. And so initially, he listened to them, said, nope, this is what's going on. Now, we're going to notice he doesn't give them much time going forward. But he did initially. Here's what I found when doing a great project for God. There's two or three things. Number one, answer questions before they're asked if possible. If we come to a point where we're going to do something we think is significant for God, we try to provide information, meetings, listing sheet, Q&A sheet. You answer questions before they're asked the best you can. Answer questions before they're asked, if possible. Number two, identify the best you can the naysayers and those that have legitimate questions because there's some all over the world I've experienced that are going to be naysayers. They see the glass half empty. They don't want have any part of it for whatever reason. Might be messing up their church. It might be messing up their idea for the church. It might be that gets them out of a comfort zone. So you identify who the naysayers are and who are those that have legitimate questions about what's going on just because they want to understand. Number three, never focus too much on the naysayers once identified. And number four, try to spend individual time with those genuinely curious about what God's doing. What's the summary of chapter two? Number one, if you want to be miserable as a Christian after hearing from God, you do these four things. Just go ahead. It's not going to be a good thing because he loves you. He disciplines those he loves, just like a father would a child. So don't take that lightly. God's calling you to go into ministry. You say, I I can't do it. No, no, you can't, but he can. And maybe, maybe, maybe things aren't going so well for you, and maybe that's it. Maybe there's something else. You've just been covering up, focusing on another thing. I don't want to listen. I don't want to read God's Word. I don't want to go to church because I, I don't want to hear what I think I know that I know God's saying. If you want to be miserable after hearing from God, you do those things. Life is short. And there are no second chances once we're dead. We want to make the most of them. 
number two summary of chapter two. If you want to have success after hearing from God, you do what Nehemiah did in this chapter. C.T. Studd once said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Dear God, help us to be driven and passionate about our relationship with you and about fulfilling our purpose in life. Help us not to just sit and soak, but to serve, to fulfill your vision for us and our family, and our church family and our community and otherwise. God, we want to be vessels of your grace for your glory like Nehemiah. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to stand this morning. Our staff is going to be here at the place of prayer. You may need to come to the altar and pray with you and your family. It may be that you need to talk to one of our counselors that's here. And you talk to them about what's going on in your life. They're not going to embarrass you or put you on the spot. They're here to listen to you and talk with you. And it may be that today's the day that God's leading you to make a major decision. And you need to do it. Now, it may be you talk to somebody here and say, just pray for me because I know what I need to do when I leave this building or first thing Monday morning. Or it may be God is leading you to join this church. If he is, do it. It may be that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got religion, but you don't have a relationship. You want to know what that means. That's the biggest decision we'll ever make. And the most important, you follow God's will.